For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. Here's Dickow from the deep corner for three. Uh-oh, uh-oh. It's all now. Downtown Dan connects. Every morning when I'm working out, I'm listening to your podcast. Keep up the great work. I mean, I've seen Dan Dickow hit some big shots in the NCAA tournament. <laughs> I got to salute you, man. Like, I've been watching you since I was in high school trying to mimic all your moves. Welcome to another episode of the ISO with myself, your host, Dan Dickow, for SB Live Sports. Conversations with experts throughout sports. Today's guest, a former teammate of mine, although it was only for a short time, also an opponent that I'll be honest, I had issues with because he was so quick. That's partly the reason he has his name. He's currently the head coach at Hofstra, Speedy Claxton. Speedy, it's been quite some time. Great to see you. I know, man. It's great catching up with you, man. Look forward to, to chopping it up here. Absolutely. You know, I will we'll stay on the topic of being one of those guys that gave me a lot of problems. You and I were probably, I'm guessing, similar in the fact that we're both undersized players growing up, and we had to find something to hang our hats on. Um, What was it for you that kind of drove you to keep not listening to outsiders' opinions of yourself and your game and just keep working and believing in yourself? I mean, I knew ultimately I knew where I wanted to go. The NBA was my dream, and I wasn't going to have anybody tell me that it couldn't be reached. Um, so I worked my butt off for it. And, you know, I was always uh, a prove somebody wrong type of person. You tell me I can't do something. No, I'm going I'm to show you that I can. So I'm going to prove you wrong. That's so very evident when when you're looking at guys our size make it to the NBA. And I, I don't want to make that, um, you know, a, a consistent theme of, of our conversation. But when you are now coaching and you're looking at potential recruits um, and how you evaluate them, you probably have to put yourself back in your shoes when you were in high school and and think about what you had success with or how you would hang your hat. When you're out there recruiting and evaluating, what makes you excited to recruit them to be a Hofstra player? You know, first, if they have a passion for the game, you know, uh, if they have a good feel, uh, if they're – tough physical you know a lot of d1 coaches they they write you off when you're a small guard but i was a small guard myself so i love small guards um especially you have, if you have that toughness and energy but um that's I, I would really say we just have a good feel for the game i'm not really too worried about your athleticism and all that type of stuff because i think you truly get better uh when you get to college um i wasn't great coming out of high school I really became good when I got to college and started working on my on my craft. 
Well, let's talk about your high school time. You grew up in the New York City area. Uh, I believe you went to Christ the King High School, which is, from what I know, being a West Coast guy, a high school powerhouse program. Share with us a little bit about um, you know, the growth of your game through high school uh, and the experience playing for a big program like that. Yeah, like you said, I went to Christ the King High School, and it's a it's, it's a basketball powerhouse on the East Coast. Um, you know, before me, you had Dirk Phelps there, Colin Reeves, Jamal Faulkner, Jason Sapola. You had a lot of guys, so it's a it's it's a rich basketball tradition in the high school. And then when I was there, it was myself, Lamar Odom, and Eric Barkley who all made it to the NBA. We was all uh, first round draft picks. So we, we had a very good high school team. Now, those two guys were way – I'm not going to say better than me or way better than me, but they got most of the write-ups. I kind of got overlooked um, in the high school level. And it wasn't until midway through my senior year where a lot of the big schools started to try to come and recruit me because they used to come watch Lamar and Eric, and they was like, well, who's that other kid? And then that's when people started to take notice of my game and I started getting the recognition that I deserved. But at that point, um, Coach Jay Wright, who's now the Villanova head coach, had done a terrific job of recruiting me. And I, had, I was just comfortable with him and his coaching staff. So I decided to come to Hofstra and be the, you know, the big fish in the small pond. So three NBA players on a single team in high school. Uh, yeah. That doesn't happen too often. <laughs> I've, nah. I've had lots of other guys on this podcast from Seattle or L.A., and I've always posed the question, like, for example, to Jamal Crawford, who are the best players ever out of Seattle? Um, you know, and the same thing with Coach David Fisdale, who's from the L.A. area. Yeah. Asked him about the L.A. guys. In your opinion, give me – maybe the top five guys or so from, from New York City High School basketball? Uh, first, I would say Kenny Anderson. He's the godfather of New York basketball. Uh, then you got Steph Marbury. Uh, then you got Mark Jackson. Then you got Ross Strickland. Then, honestly, I'm going to throw Kemba in there as the fifth one. I mean, Kemba had a really, really good NBA career. He's probably had the best NBA career out of – all the guards that ever came out of New York. That's awesome because I think you and I, in remembering conversations and, and going through practice and film sessions, we see the game fairly similar. And I love the fact that you just named five point guards. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you know, I got some of my point guards some love, man. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, I, I I love that because my 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 eye goes straight to point guards when I'm coaching my son's group <laughs> or if I'm in a workout with other well, kids. Listen, we we both know that's where it all starts from at the point guard position. You have a good point guard, you can have a really good team. One hundred percent, they're the point of attack on defense. Even though you were a, a hundred times better than I was at that a end of the floor, <laughs> and then on the offensive end, you're the guy getting everybody involved and you're keeping things organized. Exactly. So let's talk about Jay, Jay Wright at Hofstra. Um, he's obviously gone on to Villanova, won multiple national titles. He's a Hall of Fame type coach. When you were being recruited and when you played for Jay Wright, what was that like? Uh, was he uh, an energetic? Was he uh, a supportive coach? How did he impact you and help you grow? Well, he is a super supportive coach. Uh, he coaches with a Lot, a ton of energy and effort. It, it's funny because 
when when he recruited me, he was like mad cool, mad laid back. He was like, you, you, almost, you almost be like, man, I'm, I would love to play for this dude. Then when you get him on the court, he is totally different. He's very animated, you know, cursing and yelling. I'm like, whoa, this is not the guy who recruited me. It was, <laughs> seriously, it was like Jekyll, Mr. Jekyll. It was like Dr. Jekyll and Hyde. So I was like, wow, this dude's really switched it up. But, I mean, he he really shows you that he loves you and he genuinely cares for all of his players. So you 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 have no choice but to give give you 100%, man. He's Mr. GQ of college basketball on the sidelines. Was he that way at Hofstra, or did that evolve over time in Philly? No, that that evolved. I mean, obviously, he was making way more money now, so he could he he could dress in the the high price suits. But he always had good swag when he was here. Um, but now that he's at Villanova, making a lot more money, now he's he's now he's GQ jail, as they call him. That's awesome. How about um, when I look at Gonzaga's program with Coach Few, um, I, I see how he coached when I was there, and now I see how he coaches uh, with the current group that's obviously one yeah. of the elites. They've been two of the last three uh, national title games. I've seen a growth and an evolution of, of his understanding of, of what he wants to do and um, a comfort level of who he is as a coach. Have you seen the same growth in Jay Wright from then till now? Absolutely. Absolutely. I would go like when I was a scout for the words, I would go watch some of his practices. And after practice, I'm like, yo, who are you? Like, you would never just kind to us. He's like, speed man. He's like, you got to you got to you got to change with the times. He said, you really can't mother F these kids nowadays or, or you're going to lose them. He said, you almost have to yell at them but then love them in the same sentence. So I was like, okay, I, I, I get it. And now that I'm coaching, I see that. I see that. And that's, that's what I try to do myself. So where did you get the passion to want to coach? Because we talked really quickly off air before we began recording. Uh, you did a couple years of, of scouting in the front office yeah. of the Golden State Warriors. Um, many guys think they just transition from playing to having success in, in one career or the other. But a lot of times it takes one thing to realize that's not for me. I really want to go there. You found your coaching passion and you're really kind of ascended as you're now the head coach at Hofstra. But um, did you always think you might get into coaching or did you fall into it? No, I, I kind of fell into it, honestly. You know, my last year when I was at Golden State, Don Nelson was the coach at the time. And you know, I was I, I was pretty much done playing. I was more like a I was more I was kind of more like a play, players coach. Um, and I, I guess he he saw how I interacted with my teammates and how I I directed them on the court, even though I wasn't kind of even though I wasn't like fully playing. And then one day after practice, he came to me. He was like, "Yo, Speedy, you ever thought about coaching?" And at that point, it never crossed my mind. And from that point on, I was like, "Wow, if Don Nelson." is telling me that I could coach this game and he's a Hall of Fame coach, maybe I should start putting some thought into this. And then when Coach Mahalik, who was a former coach here before I got the job, um, he took the Hofstra job and I knew it would be a good opportunity for me to to join his staff and kind of learn from somebody who's been in the college game for a long time. So I did that and um, I just kind of fell in love with it, you know, helping these kids reach reach their dreams like I did mine and just put them in 
in a better life situation. Um, I helped my actually my first recruit ever um, that I had when I was at that when I became assistant coach. He went on to get drafted and make it, make it to the NBA two years ago by Utah, and like that was such a great feeling for me to to help somebody get to that level. Like it was it was dope, man. Obviously, as a head coach, you've got a lot of film you break, you're going to be breaking down. you got to watch opponents, understand upcoming um, opponents, as well as maybe watch past games of yours for strengths and weaknesses, where areas you can improve. But when you get free time, do you prefer watching college or the NBA? No, I much rather watch college than the NBA. I really don't start watching the NBA until they get to the playoffs. Because, I, I mean, obviously, you know, too, but that's when you really get to see who's, who's what. Like, that's when guys are really starting to play. I think during the regular season, it's glorified pickup. And then when you get to the playoffs, that's where they start playing real basketball and you see who's really, like, really good player. Yeah. What, what's, what's your philosophy as a head coach for year one at Hofstra? Uh, you mentioned the previous coach uh, you worked under for a number of years. A lot of times when a new coach comes in, there's a couple small tweaks they want to make here or there. When you're preparing for this upcoming season, um, what is your team going to hang their hat on? Defense. Uh, I think defense really wins championships. Um, In years past, when I was an assistant coach here, we played predominantly zone. Um, I'm not a zone coach. Um, I I, I never liked playing zone as a player. So these last five, well, not these last five weeks, but we get eight weeks during the summertime to work with our guys. And we only had six weeks, and we focused all on defense. They they might not have liked it, but I truly believe if we could play, if we could get stops on the defensive end, we have really good scores. We're gonna be able to score on the offensive end. But if they if they buy in on the defensive end, we're gonna really be able to be good. And they did buy in this summer, and we they were amazing. What's been the biggest adjustment of going from assistant coach to now being the head guy, who's writing up the practice plans, who you have the final say. With, with how things are done. Yeah, you said it. You have the final say. So, <laughs> so everything comes to you and you give the, the, the stamp of approval um, from these kids' majors to practice plans to calling the plays. I mean, to meeting with donors. Uh, it's, it, it truly is a big step up. Let's go back to NBA days for for a short bit. Uh, There were a number of players that gave me problems. Um, When you look at your career, who were the guys that were the hardest guys um, for you to match up against? Let's see. Some of the tougher matchups for me, I would probably say Steve Nash um, because you got hit with a ton of freaking ball screens. Um, Then I would say some of the bigger guards like a Baron Davis – Jason Kidd, uh, Gary Payton. And then, you know, when I was with the uh, the year after I played with you, uh, that's when I played with CP3. And then B. Scott would play us together a lot. So then I had a guard, the two guards. So I was guarding Kobe Bryant, D. Wade, Ray Allen, Michael Red. So, I mean, it, I had some really, really tough matchups, man. Yeah, those, those are some great names you mentioned. I agree with you on the Steve Nash. So many pick and rolls, and obviously that's become the game now. Uh, yeah. Aaron Davis was as creative with a handle and as strong 
Yeah, and he, he, he didn't natural. care. Like he he didn't care if he jacked up a thirty five footer and missed it. He was gonna come down the next possession and try to <laughs> yeah. play. And it's, it's yeah. When you when you're guarding guys that that have the ultimate ultimate green light, it just makes it even harder. So like even like Gilbert Arenas was a super huge tough guard because he really didn't, he he gave zero fucks. So it's like <laughs> he could do it. He could do whatever he want at any point. So I was like, all right. I mean, sheesh. Yeah, that, that makes it tough when, when uh, you're having to guard somebody that uh, literally you have no clue what they're going to do because they got the ultimate green light, as you said. <laughs> uh, I want to ask you about B. Scott because I had my best year professionally under Byron Scott. Uh, we so were teammates for a short bit. But when you looked at his coaching philosophy, and, and the offensive fit me perfectly, but – the the practices and uh, the, what, what was it called the the death march after all oh my break. god what was the hardest practice you had or ha- ever had to go through in the nba and i'm sure it was under byron scott yeah, it was easily of the b scott i remember one practice we had uh we was practicing we was like in the middle of practice and you know with b scott you're practicing it's not no half nothing like you're practicing full go so we we messed up a drill he, he put us on the line. We ran. We went back to the drill. We started doing it again. We messed up. And then he was like, all right, get back on the line. At that point, then I was like, no. I said, no, I'm not running anymore, B. Scott. And, I, you know, I, I was never that type of player. But at that point, I was just done. I was like, no, I'm not running. I went and sat on the sideline. And then everybody else kind of just followed suit. And we was like, this, no, nah, man. We, like, come on. You know, I'm P.J. Brown, like, come on. Like, P.J. Brown can't be running suicides. He's like in his, he was like in his 25th year. Like, come on. Scott, what, are we, what are we doing here? And we got a game tomorrow. Like, come on, you're killing us, man. This, and that was my contract. Yeah. I, I wasn't trying to do all that. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. There were times we'd have a back-to-back on the road, fly home, and then we'd have practice at 11 in the morning. And the young guys, which I still was in that group, we had to be there on the court at like 10, 15 to get extra shots. <laughs> like, come on. <laughs> they were some difficult days, that's be- for sure. B. Scott would take some years off your career, man. I, I've heard that from a number of other guys as well. But you know what? The thing I did love about him is his passion for the game. I mean, he, yeah. we didn't win necessarily uh, when I was in New Orleans alongside you, but he, you know he cared about it, and he oh, was working at it every single day. How about some of the other NBA coaches that you were uh, uh, kind of worked with? Greg Popovich, Don Nelson, uh, two Hall of Famers. What did you take from them? And what do you try to use from them now as you being a head coach? Man, Pop, man. Pop was the man. I love Pop, man. He actually, he adds years onto your career because he really know how to save your legs. Um, but with Pop, you know, he, and you, you'll be able to attest to this. Like, he treats everybody the same, no matter if you're Tim Duncan or the 15th man on your roster. And not all, not all NBA cultures are like that. Like I not no disrespect to Larry Brown, but when I played with Philly, Larry would never he would rarely ever get on AI. But then I go do the same thing and he's mother effing me and calling me garbage and all type of stuff. I'm like, yo, I'm just following what AI did. <laughs> so it's like, you know, with but with Pop, he wasn't like that at all. Like if Tim Duncan messed up, Dave Robinson messed up, he was in their ass also. So I loved him for that. And that's 
that's what I try to that's what I try to do here with my players. Like I treat everybody the same, no matter if you're my best player or you're my thirteenth guy. Like nah, everybody gets treated equally, and I think the kids in return respect you for that, and they they listen to you. When you look at the college game now, what programs do you look at and not necessarily try to emulate, but maybe you watch um, or you, t- you pick up the phone, you call someone on their staff and try to learn something from? Villanova, without a doubt. Um, I think he gets his guys just to play so freaking hard. And in this day and age of basketball, I truly believe if you just play hard, you're going to be in the in, in the ball game. So I – I spoke to Coach Wright maybe two recruiting periods ago, two summers ago, and I was like, Coach, how do you get your guys to play that freaking hard? And he was like, yo, Speedy, he said, honestly, that's just the culture that we created. Like, they know that that's the standards, and they kind of just – everybody was just kind of bought in, and uh, they just they just follow suit when they, when they get there as freshmen. It's it's amazing to me though, like what you're talking about with with Villanova is when a culture has been set by a coach and then the players buy in, it just builds and it grows. Yeah. And you might have a an off year, but your off year still isn't that bad <laughs> nah. because when you look at how consistently successful Villanova and some of their great programs are, it's pretty amazing. Exactly. Hey, last question before I let you go. Most of my listeners are are on the West Coast. Um, what about the outlook for Hofstra this season? What are you hoping to see from your team? Uh, give us an outlook. Listen, you know, you know what I want to do. I want to win a championship, man. Uh, I think we assembled a really, really good, talented team. Um, like I said before, we can score the basketball. I have, I have guys that I have three guards that averaged eighteen points at some time in their in their college career, and if they really buy in on the defensive end. As a whole team, I truly believe that we can win a championship here. So that's 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 the goal, man. Speedy, I appreciate the time. It was nice to reconnect. Uh, I wish you nothing but the best of luck. Maybe with all, a lot of my broadcasting travels, uh, our paths will cross in person, and I get to call a Hofster game at some point. So appreciate <laughs> look you. Look forward. Joining. Look forward to it, Dan the man, man. Good chopping up with you, buddy. The ISO with Dan Dickow and SB Live Sports, brought to you by the Believe Podcast Network, the number one podcast network for professionals. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? 
That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.